episode of The World of Running by Geeks on Feet. I'm your host, Aditi Pandya. I love everything related to running and tech and have been training for the last four years. In this episode, we will be discussing speed training for long-distance runners. We constantly strive to improve ourselves in sports and other aspects. Runners are known for their timings. Remember Kipchoge breaking that sub to our marathon? Every time I watch him cross the finish line, it brings me goosebumps. Roger Bannister's sub 4-minute mile inspired a whole new generation of runners. As enthusiastic runners, we constantly want to up our ante and chase our dream numbers. Be it a sub 50 10K, sub 2-hour half marathon, or chasing for a BQ. A runner's speed is a mix of cadence and stride length, along with their lactic thresholds, running mechanics, and VO2 max abilities. Improving speed involves getting better at all of these. When training for speed, runners need to focus on variety of workouts, like threshold training, VO2 max intervals, sprints, endurance training, accompanied by well-structured running plan, And if you have a good running buddy, it will definitely help you. Each of these has an important role to play and we will be discussing these aspects in today's episode. Our guest for today's episode is Anubhav Karmakar. He's a marathoner. Anubhav's current PB is 2 hours and 38 minutes. With diverse experience in endurance sports, competing in a wide range of formats, like multi-stage cycling races, marathons, and triathlons. He is a podium finisher for several India's top races and also qualified for world major races like Boston and New York City Marathon, where he finished as the top Indian. He is an engineer with a master's degree in business. He was serving Fortune 500 clients before switching into full-time coaching career. You can know more about him through his website, atloft.com. Welcome to our show, Anubhav. Hey, thanks for having me here, Aditi. So, uh, Anubhav, I went through your website and it's interesting to see how you've uh, navigated your path from business to um, full-time coach and how you managed to chop off 50% of your timing from the first marathon that you ran. And for our listeners, uh, Anubhav's debut marathon timing was uh, 5 hours and 20 minutes And now his PB stands at 2 hours and 38 minutes. And this is incredible. As long distance runners, uh, many of us focus on endurance and not enough importance is given on speed. Can you share the importance of speed training to long distance runners to reach their time goals? And also what percentage of training should one focus on speed? So, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying, uh, because when we think of long distance running, we basically uh, most of us focus on, you know, the building the endurance and going the distance, which is ultimately easily measurable. And it's not intuitive to think that speed training would be important. But I think for one to realize why it's important, one needs to understand, you know, what is it actually that uh, speed training does to our body physiologically? When it comes to long distance uh, running, there are multiple physiological systems that, uh, you know, need to sort of improve uh, in order for us to be able to run longer. So uh, what 
speed training does is it increases the uh, first of all it increases the enzymes which are you know which are required to release energy from whatever fuel sources you're using so uh, those are available at a certain level but when you do speed training those enzymes level increases so that's the first thing which is very critical uh, then it also uh, you know increases the uh, lactic acid buffering capacity of your body and uh, it's also a great simulation for uh, you know the fast twitch muscle fibers which also contribute uh, although you know the slow twitch muscle fibers are important but you also need to be able to recruit so as many muscle fibers you can recruit the better and uh, also uh, it improves the ability to extract oxygen from the blood uh, you know uh, for for it to be used by the muscles so because of these factors uh, contributes to improvement of these physiological abilities it becomes uh, you know a significant part of a long distance runners training program so basically the essence of speed workout is to teach your legs what it feels to run fast and uh, speed workout consists of training done at race pace or faster yeah so what you said is right you know because uh, in the end after you do speed training or you know uh, when i say speed training let's uh, i would like to there are again categories in it so but it, in the end all of them uh, sort of end up with you feeling or experiencing an increased speed endurance as you said you know the ability to run fast for a uh, longer period of time and uh, so as i had pointed out it also uh, you know helps uh, you to sort of consolidate uh, your running motion right so that all the because with respect to running form there are always some errands when it comes to running form so it sort of helps in eliminating things like you know flying elbows right and things like that so because it is so important for you to be efficient when you're running you know uh, at that pace your body is forced to sort of eliminate those errant uh, form changes now interval training plays a pivotal role in speed training and this isn't super fast Interval training if done properly develops speed in a runner more quickly than any other form of training. All research done on distance runners suggests that they improve when they add intensity to their programs. So Anubhav can you share when training for a race how much of your training typically consists of interval training? So considering you know there are multiple ways to sort of achieve uh, speed training and interval training as you say is just you know uh, one aspect of it and you know the length of the interval is also one aspect so why i'm saying this is because how much of speed training or interval training to include depends on what type of interval training you do so broadly to classify it i would say uh, in terms of what is the objective of that particular category of speed training i would break it into two parts you know one is which where you close uh, where you train close to your vo2 max levels if if i talk in terms of uh, threshold pace your ability to maintain a certain pace between uh, you know close to uh, your half marathon uh, somewhere close to your half marathon again depends on the ability of the runner with that in mind about 107 to 115% of that pace when you train at that pace you are actually working to uh, close to your vo2 max level uh so that sort of training generally you would be doing like you know bouts of 3 to 5 minutes that is what sure. is desirable uh, so uh when you do that kind of training i i would say uh somewhere uh, at a minimum of around 10 kilometers in an you know you have to see which is lesser actually if you you can measure it in terms of uh, total miles or in terms of percentage of your weekly mileage also so there are two ways of sort of determining uh, how much of uh, you know interval training you should be doing so 
as I said, the first category I defined is, you know, training close to VO2 max level. Then there is another category where you are training to sort of improve your anaerobic power and speed, which is at a much higher pace, right? And mm-hmm. that level of training works on actually improving the economy of your running. So, uh, so if I was to say how much speed training is to be done, I would, you know, give you individual values for each of these categories, right? Sure. And uh, again, these are again, you know, like again, approximate values. It's not very hard and fast, uh, but uh, it's important that you do not, uh, you know, exceed those levels because then it generally t- tends to, you know, create uh, too much stress uh, for you. So uh, when I talked about the other ca- category, which I, the second category, which I talked about, right, which is, uh, where you're working on your anaerobic capacity, you would want to do somewhere, uh, either the lesser of eight kilometers on a week or 5% of your weekly mileage. So, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, training, uh, the, the speed training, which is focused, uh, at, or which is being done at close to VO2 max levels, you would be doing lesser of uh, 10K or 8% of your weekly miles. And uh, the ones which are aimed at anaerobic capacity, which works on your, you know, uh, running economy, then you would do the lesser of 8 kilometers in a week or 5% of your weekly miles. Got it. So just for our listeners, interval training can be structured in variety of ways, right? And this is to address specific aspects of speed improvement, such as sprints for peak speed, strides for improving form and power production, hill repeats for running strength, VO2 max for anaerobic development, and threshold intervals for speed endurance. So Anubhav, um, when should we bring in these variety of aspects of intervals, right? So let's take one at a time. And how much of sprint should be done which would in turn help for a marathon training. Yeah, so the way I look at it is we need to understand uh, what the objective of doing sprints for long distance training is. So here, of course, you are trying to improve your top end speed, but more importantly, you are trying to improve your consolidate your form and the stride, right? That is what is critical. So again, uh, there, when it comes to sprints, you could classify them as, you know, either, you know, anaerobic capacity intervals, which I just spoke about before, which are generally ranging between 100 to uh, 400 meters and they will have very long uh, recovery intervals between you know uh, the working bouts you will have a recovery jog which is uh, about you know two to five times that duration so that is one kind right and the uh, so aim of those uh, intervals is to basically you know is to f- uh, you know flood the muscles with lactic acid and then let them recover again so you're also developing leg strength while you're also developing the ability to buffer lactic acid and allowing you to sprint longer. So that is why these sprints are generally, I would say, on the longer side. You know, 100 to 400 meter is a significant distance of sprinting for a long distance runner. The other kind of uh, sprinting that you do is uh, strides. Now, the, that works on, uh, you know, that focuses on improving running, uh, you know, sprinting technique, right? And basically teaches your legs to turn quickly. That is the aim of uh, doing strides, right? And it is uh, it is really working on the uh, neuromuscular system. That is the reason why they are, you know, shorter in nature. And they would generally be like between 50 meters to 200 meters, comparatively shorter than the, you know, anaerobic capacity intervals that I mentioned. Because here we don't want any lactic acid to build up, right? Because when that builds up, it inhibits the, you know, the nervous system and it interferes with the uh, neuromuscular adaptations that you're trying to make. 
so that is why you know after each of those strides you will generally you know you jog very easily uh, for at least like 30 seconds you know up to a minute sometimes and uh, uh, so that you can get ready for the next interval so you don't want lactic acid build up so so the reason why i'm mentioning uh, in detail about the kind of interval it is because that really determines uh, how you incorporate them so when it comes to anaerobic capacity intervals which are between 100 to 400 meters those are dedicated sessions that you do early in your uh, let's say in your program okay as you start the early stages of your uh, development stage of your uh, plan whereas strides is something that you can include through your entire training is uh, a macro cycle right uh, something that you would uh, sort of do it on a, on an easy running day uh, and uh, you just incorporate them any one or two one or two days of your entire week it could be any of the days uh, that you feel like and uh, but when it comes to let's say anaerobic capacity intervals you would do it on a particular predetermined day or sometimes you can actually do like if, it's your, if you're doing 100 meter sprints you could do it as a part of the warm up to your uh, other speed training uh, you know whatever is scheduled for that particular day uh, sure. you, you could do like uh, you know 800 meter speed training and then you could do a warm up followed by do, uh, this so that it works in two ways it not only works on your anaerobic capacity but also prepares you for the longer intervals so that is one way of incorporating sometimes it's also useful to do it uh, post your interval sessions also that also works out well so you can choose you know what suits you better but I, my preference is always to sort of do it before the session but it's okay to so be able to do it after the session as well all right great so anubhav i also uh, do a lot of hill repeats and these are short interval runs on an inclined terrain and this also involves very short distance and then a recovery jog back down the hill and um, generally i do this to improve my running form mm. so um, since these runs are against gravity it helps to recruit more muscles thereby improving strength Um, do you can you can you share your knowledge on how do you do your hill repeats and what do you recommend as a distance that one should choose? So I mean, uh, as you pointed out correctly, uh, you know that's the objective of uh, hill repeats, right? Uh, they are kind of very similar to uh, you know speed workouts, but with the added advantage of uh, adding uh, you know there's a much more strength component, strength uh, improvement in the strength. Uh, which uh, as uh, in comparison to let's say uh, speed workout and also say same time it also helps you in improving your arm swing exaggerates the arm swing and uh, has a much more greater effect in terms of form improvement so keeping that objective in mind uh, you want quality in your workout right and hence you don't want them to be too long uh an interval like for example when you do speed workouts it could go on to as i said up to 5 minutes right but here uh, when you the longer the interval the lesser the you know the chances that the quality of the workout decreases but the reason why in speed workouts you sort of increase uh, the duration is because you want that lactic acid build up to happen right whereas here that is not the objective so you want to keep it short and hence uh, i kind of prefer doing like a i i like to measure it in terms of time so somewhere between 1 minute to 1.5 minutes in zone 5 uh, on on a moderately uh, steep hill you don't want it to be too steep because if it's too steep then it starts working on some uh, completely different aspect choosing the gradient actually helps you determine on what 
aspect of your running it really works so steeper it is the more explosive strength you get dependent on uh on whereas you know gradual hills or moderately steep hills they will allow you to work both on a good form running form as well as uh, the strength aspect so around like 3% gradient i would say but it's very difficult for somebody for a recreational athlete to sort of measure the gradient so you have to go by a little by feel and judge it and so a moderately steep hill which allows you to sort of uh, you know run for 1 minute to 1.5 minutes is a good choice so we have been talking a lot about anaerobic capacity and now moving to aerobic capacity and we generally do intervals which involves aerobic capacity to maximize our oxygen consumption and one of them is vo2 max intervals these are generally run at 5k pace for a distance up to 1 km so anubhav can you tell us about how one can improve their vo2 max and what are their long term benefits i just talked a little while back right uh, one of the aspects of speed training one of the categories of speed training uh, wherein you are actually uh, trying to improve your vo2 max and you are actually operating at an intensity which is very close to your vo2 max it's your body's ability to sort of uh, utilize as much oxygen and make it available uh, for the muscles that's what the aim is so these intervals tend to do that sure So tempo runs are faster than marathon pace and slower than interval pace. It is often expressed as 85% of maximum heart rate or 75% of maximum oxygen intake. This number is often referred as lactate threshold. Hence the pace around these numbers are also called threshold pace. Another way of looking at tempo pace should be just within the aerobic range of activity. It should be comfortably hard pace that you should be able to sustain for around an hour in race conditions. How much percentage of your training anubhav do you structure around these kind of intervals when you are training 10k or half marathon or a marathon? Right, it's tough to uh, I would say uh, put down a number for this because as as against let's say uh speed training where we need to be a little careful not to overdo it so that's why we would like to limit that with uh, a certain upper level uh, there but when it comes to uh, you know uh, threshold training there's no hard and fast uh, percentage that i uh, look at i primarily the key determinant for you know how much to do is actually the uh, the caliber of the runner itself right at any given stage of the training program you need to see how much focus is there on speed work versus you know threshold so that really determines you know if uh, how much threshold work we can include and also it also depends on which stage of the training uh, cycle you are in right uh, typically uh, starting off right uh, it will be heavier on the speed workout right because that is where you sort of establish better quality movement right you establish uh, strength right and that helps you uh, in the long run uh, for the other intense workouts threshold workouts are you know longer bouts of uh, runs right so you want to make sure that your quality of movement has already been established your tissues integrity and strength has already been established so you don't don't want it to come in early uh you know in your training program at the same time uh it, this since this is uh, teaching you how to run at a comfortably hard pace it's closer to you know uh, the race pace that you have in long distance racing so you it also makes sense uh, to do that later on in the program as against earlier because it is more specific kind of a training right when i say specific it like it, it it's closely related to the kind of uh, effort that you will be putting out in a race so as 
a general principle, you want to do more generic stuff, foundational stuff in the beginning of the program. So you would not have so much of threshold running because it's, threshold running is more specific stuff, right? So I would say somewhere uh, between, uh, you know, 12 weeks away from a race up to the six weeks away from the race is when you would do proper threshold efforts. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, let me again say that, you know, threshold runs can be of um, different types again. You know, generally it's preferable to do something like, you know, anywhere between 15 to 40 minutes uh, of threshold work, right? Now, that can be very challenging. Doing even 15 minutes or 20 minutes of threshold running can be challenging. So, you slowly need to build up to it. So, when I said that, you know, initial part of the program, you will not have uh, so much of threshold running. I don't mean to say it will be completely absent. But it will come in the form of, uh, let's say, threshold intervals, which are shorter bouts. So, you're not doing like, like a tempo run, really. Like tempo run is a longer threshold run. Here, instead you are doing something like shorter intervals which sometimes is referred by some people as cruise intervals so you're running at either a little faster than threshold uh, pace range or at, at pace range but you're slowly building up your body's ability to sort of work in that intensity level and you slowly start stitching up these intervals uh, to uh, so that by the time you are like 12 12 weeks away from your race you have developed the ability to sort of do these longer bouts of threshold runs and that is how you slowly build up to doing longer bouts of tempo runs. Again, when you're six weeks away from the race, that's when you want to stop doing these harder efforts. You want your body to start, uh, you know, uh, getting ready for the race and you don't want to be taxing your body so much. Right. So, I mean, tapering, although is like about three weeks or two weeks away, but it's always, uh, you know, it's not like only those three weeks, you slowly start modifying things uh, so that you are progressively reducing the stress on your body because these threshold runs can be extremely stressful. So that's when, again, you start moving from the longer tempo runs to you slowly start breaking them down again into intervals and you do threshold, uh, you know, intervals or cruise intervals. Uh, some, you know, we could be doing like three, three kilometer intervals or 1.5 kilometer intervals uh, as against doing like a 20 minute long uh, threshold run. So, um, Anupav, I think pacing is an art and science and I haven't been able to um, get there as yet. But um, what I personally do is that I run at a particular pace for two to three weeks before changing my pace. So do you have a thumb rule to determine paces of various intervals? And what do you normally recommend as paces for different interval workouts? Right. So, I mean, over the years, I've been, you know, through because of the experience of uh, coaching other athletes and my own training, I've been sort of making notes of those and noting down, you know, uh, you know, these different pace ranges that you run at and what allows you to sort of productively, you know, train in the sense like allows you to get a good training impetus but at the same time allows you to recover well enough and not get injured and also the knowledge that we have so far from uh, running experts i've actually developed my own uh, calculator right and uh, sure. it's somewhere around it's got 14 zones in it actually uh, 14 different zones uh, in terms of the range of the distance and then each of those uh, distance uh, ranges i have a pace range it's always a range there's always an upper limit and a lower limit so the caveat for the athlete is that you never exceed the upper range Right. And uh, okay. lower range, it's OK if uh, on an off day you, you want to breach the lower range, that's still fine because, uh, you know, there's no point in just pushing yourself too much, uh, uh, 
because that's not going to add any value if if it you know if you're not going to be able to finish the workout with a good amount of repeatability because you don't want to go really hard in the first few intervals and then start uh, fading away so you want repeatability so you have to judge that you know uh, right in the first interval you will be able to first few intervals in fact uh, you'll be able to figure that out the more experienced you are of course the better your ability to figure it out but having a range helps in that sense because you can always start at the lower end of the range and then as you said right progress uh, as, as you feel get a better feel of how your body is feeling that way you can increase it so this is across intervals as well as within an interval also so even when you're starting off an interval you start conservatively maybe you start at the mid of the range and then depending on how you feel you either move up or maintain uh, try not to lower down if you're lowering down within the interval then it means that you you can basically do that math and figure okay so the next interval let me start at this end you know because i was not able to maintain it mid range uh, through the entire interval so let me start at a lower pace so that's one way of determining you know that's, and that's why always the first few intervals actually will tell you will give you the feedback to figure you know how to adjust your pace so um, anubhav i recently ran a marathon and uh, it was a 16 week uh, plan that i was following and uh, for that what i did is that um, i had few time trials so i had a fi- 5k then i had a 10k time trial i even had a half marathon that i ran before it and then the final marathon so uh, and this was generally to understand my training paces so do you also have a training pace and uh, that's how you come up with your final timing and if you can throw some light around it it'll be helpful personally so far you know as it has been i've been uh, you know in a constant cycle of uh, uh, racing so as i i would say uh, i have a multi peak uh, calendar it's a lot of uh, athletes would have like a single peak wherein you prepare for one race sure. in a year right uh, whereas uh, as against that i have a multi peak so because of which i get a lot of data from races itself right my previous race and there is not uh, as things stand today uh, i'm able to recover very easily from my race efforts and uh, sort of take a short recovery break and get back onto training so i don't lose a lot of fitness between my two uh, you know macro cycles of training which are generally about like 6 months uh, sure. so so that's why i'm able to use the time i get from the previous race to determine you know what level i should be training uh, as i begin the new cycle of training so that's the one thing right uh, if the second thing is if you do not have if an athlete is taken a break significant break so in which case you cannot use the previous because you would have dropped a little bit of fitness even though you've done even if you do some level of maintenance activity if it's a significantly long break you would want to sort of uh, establish uh, you know your intensity level again uh, by doing a time trial after a few weeks mm-hmm. of easy running so that can help you determine right which is the second scenario uh then uh going forward into the training program you would you, you can also assess your uh, gains that you're making in the, you know your fitness level by analyzing the workout itself right if you are able to stay on the as i said you know we are determining a range for our workouts and so if you are able to maintain uh, your uh, pace at the higher end of the range for all your workouts consistently it just means that you know uh, you are probably capable of moving that range up further so that now you are you uh, feel challenged at the mid range of the interval itself at the same time if you feel challenged at the low end of the uh, range then it's also probably a good idea to lower the range or probably do a time trial to figure you know what the true fitness level is so you use these factors you analyze the data and based on that you take these decisions 
So genes play an important role in endurance and speed. And these are basically dependent on our slow twitch and fast twitch muscles. And runners with dominant slow twitch muscle fibers are good at endurance, whereas the runners who have dominant fast twitch muscle fibers are good at speed. And uh, fast twitch muscle fibers are geared for short bursts of energy and slow twitch muscle fibers contract more slowly, but they maintain the contraction for a longer period of time. The key here is how to have a good mix of slow twitch and fast twitch muscles. So Anubhav, do you see athletes um, need to understand their muscle mix and accordingly personalize their training? Have you done any such assessment of your athletes? So uh, I get to the, you know, uh, the gist of the question, but uh, to answer specifically, it's not, I'm not really concerned about, uh, you know, what is the muscle composition? Because I mean, That could be the underlying reason, but that does not matter to me. What matters to me is what I see uh, happening to the athlete uh, on a day-to-day basis, right? And uh, there is, so it's impossible to sort of figure that, uh, you know, that muscle fiber composition, you know, what exactly it is it. But by just analyzing the training runs or analyzing their previous races, right, across different uh, distance formats, one can sort, sort of figure out, you know, that uh, that when it comes to shorter distances, one is able to sort of perform with lesser amount of uh, perceived challenge, right, uh, as against, uh, let's say, longer distance races. So once you understand that, you know that, okay, uh, you know, you can break that down to uh, figuring that why is that happening? Maybe that, uh, you know, particular runner is not able to do well, let's for say for an example, as a case study, let's say that a runner is not able to do well in uh, shorter distance, right? So then immediately you look at uh, the different factors. It's, why is it so? Maybe you first look at the running form. So if your running form is poor, the chances are higher that, you know, you will find it very difficult to do well in the shorter format. Because shorter format really demands efficiency, you know, in your uh, running form. Uh, You need a lot of biomechanical efficiency. So that is the reason why it's also used to improve biomechanical efficiency because it demands that from your body, forces your body to do that. So you need to do that assessment, right? And uh, that is the more critical aspect is like to understand if somebody is has that bias of doing well on longer versus shorter or the vice versa, what is it that is contributing to it? And because uh, just the high level understanding or assessment that, you know, you're fast twitch dominant or slow twitch dominant uh, really does not uh, give much insight. Rather, want to understand the factors which are contributing. So coming to endurance training and it serves as a prerequisite to handling higher intensity workout. Runners just starting their running journey should focus on building a base and then move to improving speed. Anubhav, you are a very good cyclist. And how do you see that this cross training has helped you uh, in endurance? Um, so first thing is it was not cross training for me. Okay. Because All right. I, when I picked up sport, you know, as an adult, uh, I started with cycling. Right. So uh, it was a separate uh, sport that I was working on. So that being said, I do recommend uh, athletes to take up cycling as cross training, wherein they are not really focusing on cycling as a sport, but they do it uh, from a perspective of cross training. Now, you have to understand, uh, you know, who the athlete is, right, and what their level of experience is to sort of determine whether it is something which will help them or not. Like, for example, at uh, I would say, 
as an athlete gets more experienced, uh, cross training probably slowly starts going out of the window because then you would start demanding more time to be dedicated towards running. Whereas uh, for an inexperienced athlete, you don't, uh, that athlete would not have the ability to take up a lot of volume of training, right? Because they're, uh, the thing with uh, aerobic cap, you know, capacity and your endurance is that it picks up a lot faster than the musculoskeletal system, right? The musculoskeletal system always lags behind. So one of the things uh, which always plagues uh, an inexperienced amateur or recreational athlete is that they get injured. And that's probably because they start picking, doing more mileage. Uh, simply because they've developed the endurance, right? But the neuromuscular system has still not developed well enough or the athlete has not done enough groundwork or foundational work to be able to, you know, take up the high volume. That's why it makes sense to sort of, uh, you know, uh, replace running volume with cycling volume because although it works on your endurance, uh, because cycling is also an endurance sport, it does not put so much pressure on your uh, musculoskeletal system. It's a lot more forgiving as a sport on your musculoskeletal system. There's no pounding on your legs, right? So what it does is in that case, that strategy works really well because it allows you to sort of uh, engage in um, uh, improving your endurance, but at the same time, allowing your uh, running specific musculoskeletal system to recover. Good form is a backbone for achieving better speed and less fatigue. More often as the mileage increases, runners lose their form. We have seen like at the, the last three, four kilometers of a marathon or a half marathon, runners might have a hunchback or they might be using their torso more and this leads to losing out on energy. So there are five elements for an effective form. One is a foot strike. There is a debate on which foot strike is better, forefoot, midfoot or rear foot. The best strike depends on your biomechanics. The other one is stride length. There is no definition of a perfect stride length. The best stride length depends on each runner's natural form. The third one is carriage. Your trunk should be more or less perpendicular to the ground and your hips should be forward. Now coming to your arm. Your arm should move in rhythm with your legs. However, too much of hand movement can make you tire and reduce your running economy. The last one is head position. It is suggested that you fix your gaze up to 10 yards while running and keeping head parallel to the ground. So just for curiosity, Anubhav, do you have any stand on this foot strike debate? I'm not aware of what the debate is. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I'm really not, uh, I don't think so. That's even something to look at because uh I, because then it's just too much focus on the foot, but the foot only trails what the rest of the body is doing. So I think the focus uh, just goes into the wrong direction when you're just focusing on the foot. I rather would like to look at the alignment of the whole body in general. Like, where is your foot uh, with respect to the rest of your body? Right? That is what matters and not with respect to where it is on the in relation to the ground. Ideally, when your foot is making contact with the ground, you want it to be under the center of mass of your body. Uh, and uh, to do that, uh, you know, you of, co of course, gait analysis uh, is something uh, which has been there, uh, has been around, but I don't think so that is sufficient. In fact, you know, sometimes it's misleading. It does not give the entire uh, picture. The end result of these gait analysis is, you know, okay, whether you, uh, you, you are, you know, pronating or uh, you're overpronating or not, and, you know, whether uh, you are landing on your heels and things like that. But there is a lot more that needs to be done, a lot more assessment that needs to be done from a form perspective. Your foot strike 
I do believe it should be uh, for a long distance runners. You should be uh, you know landing on the midfoot because that puts a lot less stress on your uh, body's tendons and ligaments. Really, because the thing is, if you are landing on your rear foot, uh, your joints are not uh, aligned in a way where they can absorb the shock properly. Chances are high that you will get injured, especially for. uh you know someone who is uh, new into running again four foot too much four foot means that it puts uh, too much stress on your calf muscles and your achilles tendon right although they are strong muscles and tendons uh but again right when you start putting up so much volume uh then there's always a chance that you know there's undue pressure on just one set of uh muscles and tendons right so you want to balance it out across as many muscles and tendons in your body as possible you want the alignment to be such that it, the joints can absorb the shock which is coming from you know pounding the road although you know i don't want to look at strike but if your foot is landing under the center of mass of your body all of this is taken care of you run more efficiently because there is less uh, breaking effect you know when your foot is uh, landing ahead of the rest of the body uh, not only are the joints getting locked up but you are also not able to utilize gravity in general to move faster whereas if you're landing underneath the center of mass of your body and you have a little bit of forward lean you're able to utilize the gravity itself so just plain physics you know that you would have to do less work gravity itself will do uh, a bit for you and make your running smoother and uh, less challenging no matter how fast you run how far you go is subject of your core strength and overall body strength plays an important role in improving speed a good mix of intervals and strength training can make wonders in a runner's journey Also form improvement and strength training goes hand in hand. One needs to incorporate strength training to improve running form. Injury prevention is another important reason to include strength training. So Anubhav how important is strength training in your overall training cycle and how do you intertwine it with your running routine? Uh before I talk about myself uh I would first emphasize that it is very important for recreational athletes in general and like a lot of other things I said the one size fit all approach doesn't work so same thing with uh, strength and conditioning you will come across a lot of great athletes good athletes I've personally come across them and I know they don't do any strength training but are able to stay injury free and continue to make progress so that's because that answer gets gets directly answered by understanding why we uh, why a runner needs to do strength con- and conditioning work the objective of doing it when you understand that then it will answer why some people don't do so much strength and conditioning because all the things objectives that you want to meet from strength and conditioning they're already achieved it by virtue of having been fit uh, and physically active through their lives or playing some sort of sport or the other so mm-hmm. as a result of which they uh, just doing running sort of helps them maintain whatever you know you need in terms uh, of uh, handling the stress of running you know or the tissue integrity that you need the balance and stability that you need so that's why um, in my own journey my running routine has not been that heavy on strength and conditioning but it's very critical uh, especially as if you have started taking up a sport after a long break from physical activity and that's the case with most amateur runners that they have had a phase have gone through a phase where they were not involved in any physical activity because running is not just um, you know uh, a mild physical activity there's a lot of stress that goes into your body and the thing is 
uh, you are also involved with a lot of degrees of freedom, right? Both lateral, uh, there's lateral degrees of freedom and, uh, you know, there's also, uh, let's say, a lot of vertical force that you're handling, you know, apart from horizontal force. So, so there's always a chance that if you are not stable enough, if you don't have enough control over your body, uh, your form starts fraying, right? And, and mm-hmm. long distance running, you're doing the same thing over and over again. So whatever effect that each step has just gets multiplied, right? And magnified. So that is why it's very important to establish certain physical qualities and certain skills, right? And uh, which can be done through, you know, st- uh, a strength and conditioning program. So, uh, but how you incorporate it completely depends on the athlete, as I said, right? Certain athletes, uh, a well-developed athlete or experienced athlete, uh, and the experience is not only in terms of running experience, but also in terms of strength and conditioning experience, right? If someone has been doing strength and conditioning for a significant amount of time, the program changes significantly. What kind of uh, training he does, how much amount of training he does also changes significantly because, you know, strength and conditioning for runners itself is a huge subject, right? Because uh, there is so many different aspects and, uh, uh, you know, I would say uh, objectives and uh, that it tries to achieve, right? So uh, because it works at on skills, it works on physical qualities which are necessary for a sport like this. Uh, running is a very simple activity. So people tend to think, uh, you know, uh, that or tend to assume that it does not require uh, any uh, foundational work in terms of skills. But actually running, you know, as against, I can say because I'm a cyclist, is a lot more skill-oriented force. So the more skills you establish, uh, and more of those physical uh, qualities which are necessary for a runner that you establish, you know, uh, in the beginning, yeah, in the foundational years as a runner, the better. So that's why I would say strength and conditioning is a very significant part as you start off. And But the composition of what you do in strength and conditioning again changes uh, as you, you know, do more and more strength and conditioning that will keep changing uh, with your uh, experience in your training program. So how about fueling? Um Fueling our body is equally important as strength and speed. And can you share how is your nutrition intake before your training runs and in general? When it comes to me, as as things stand today, because I've become more efficient as a runner as a result of all the training that I've done. Uh, And as I said, efficiency is basically, you know, how much input you need for the output that you're trying to produce. So if you're more efficient, you don't need much input. So things as they stand today, I don't require so much fueling at least from a training perspective if i'm going for an easy run i definitely don't need any fuel so i can go faster uh if i'm doing a quality run and quality could be in terms of intensity high intensity quality could be in terms of uh, high volume that's when i would uh, you know want to uh, fuel up a little bit so i'm generally on fruits uh, mostly bananas is what i add so i have a cup of coffee right. and a banana and that is sufficient but again you can't generalize again for a inexperienced athlete someone who's just gotten into running their efficiency will be low their body's ability to withdraw uh, ca- you know uh, calories uh, will be low as i said like right in the beginning i said speed training ha- releases more enzymes which extract which have the ability to extract more uh, from the fuel sources that you have so somebody who's inexperienced doesn't have enough of those ex- enzymes right so uh, you obviously are now dependent on more uh, fuel sources so uh, the aim should be 
to understand you know when you do a certain kind of workout do you feel tired or not right in the middle of the you know program or the workout right if that is happening it just means that okay you need to fuel up a little more so that's the i think the thumb rule when i go for really long runs i carry a little bit of fuel along with me uh, you know whatever is convenient so uh, generally if i'm by myself and don't have any support then i'll carry an energy gel with me so that you can i can consume something in between i'll carry some electrolytes because especially in a country like india you lose uh, you sweat a lot through most of the year so uh, you you want to sort of consume it not only so that your quality of workout is better but also so that the recovery that happens after your workout is also good right and uh, when when your body is fueled well it also has the ability to recover well so speed training can be taxing involves a lot of physical exercise and um, overtraining fatigue generally seeps in uh, runners right it may be just after you complete a race or after you complete a very exhausting threshold run what is your typical recovery we i think of it is because because the objective as you said in your question here is uh, you know you don't want to feel fatigued you don't want to feel overtrained right yeah. so it's not only what you do after the workout it's also what you do before the workout which is very critical so when i so when i talk about recovery there are things you can do as i said in the previous question itself right if you fuel well your recovery is better so it all starts before the workout itself so that is one thing you know the fuel part of it but physiologically there are things that you can do to sort of uh, make sure that you recover well and also to make sure that your workout is not stressing you out as much as more than what it should right you want uh, the body to be stressed of course you want it to be overstressed but in the right manner like in a manner which will sort of bring about the physiological adaptations that you need as a runner right so you want that to happen but at the same time you don't want something uh, uh, any sort of stress which is due to lack of preparation because you did not prepare the tissues of your body properly right so obviously uh, then uh, your quality of workout gets affected and at the same time your recovery post workout also gets affected so that is why a prehab is very critical when i say prehab is basically doing something you so that you don't have to rehabilitate yourself later so you take care of things even before you go into the workout most runners would know that you have to warm up properly right uh, so a warm up could be like a low level activity that you do right uh, you know let's say if it's for a interval workout obviously jogging a little bit does make sense but at the same time it's not just that you also need to work on other aspects you need to work on tissue mobility which sometimes a light jog will not do right uh, and again some athletes can get away with it so don't go by Uh, you know examples where you see people who are not warming up and you know still able to go ahead that's probably because their body is different their mobility is much uh, improved right so it's always better to play safe and do uh, a proper warm up routine which consists of you know active stretching which consists of some dynamic mobilization activity and then you do a workout your body will be a lot less stressed it will get stressed let's say you're doing speed workout it will stress uh, you will build lactic acid that will stress you out your body will try to you know clear that that's exactly what you want the body to happen but you don't want too much muscular stress you want to improve your strength but you don't want too much wear and tear so much that you're not able to recover well enough for the rest of the week because uh, just one good quality workout will not you know cut it for you uh, you will have to be able to train consistently through the week so i've just talked about the prehab aspect then once you finish the run then it's important to do some static stretches and at the same time you know let's say you can get back home and then do some uh, you know later in the evening do some soft tissue uh, release 
you could do the soft tissue release you know using various tools like you know uh, uh, a foam roller lacrosse ball different parts have different tools that you can use you also sure. need to understand whether a certain part of your body gets more stress than the others so pay attention to that don't, just don't follow a generic you know soft tissue release program uh, pay closer attention to areas which need more focus because everybody is different anatomically hence the stress on different body parts in most cases most runners will have one problem area or the other i wouldn't say problem area an area which gets more stress than the rest of the body so pay more attention sure. to those so and that is why even recovery shouldn't be like one size fit all you need to be specific about it so we have heard this that marathon is a mental game or any distance is a mental game for a beginner it would be a a kilometer or a 5k when i started um, my aspirational number was a 10k and uh, being a coach um, how do you work on your athletes and your uh, teams um, mental training right how important is it for you anubhav so again everything is driven by objectives so when it comes to mental sure. training again we need to look at what is the objective of mental training the brain is actually more variety uh, than the body uh, our bodies are pretty close to you know each other and still you want a very individualistic approach with the brain it is all the more different because uh, every uh, human being you know with respect to because of his you know immediate environment has a different kind of a mental setup uh, but let's say uh, if you're saying that you know uh, somebody is not able to push uh, in very intense sessions right uh, wh- what i think is uh, these intense sessions the of course you need that overload to happen your, your body needs to be overloaded right and but if you are following a well periodized program right then you uh, you should be able to get yourself you should be able to challenge yourself and get to new fitness levels without right really uh, having any of the uh, detrimental effects like getting injured or rather feeling so challenged that you start struggling during the workouts right if it's well planned that should generally not be the case if that is the case right uh, you know wherein you feel like somebody is not just getting challenged but is struggling even though you know you have set up a program which is wherein they should be able to sort of you know uh, perform at an expected level but even at that expected level if they are struggling then i think you have to look at the other factors really uh there is some issue at a musculoskeletal level or a neuromuscular level as i pointed out earlier right that somebody is not doing well uh, you you would uh, in the shorter workouts or the faster workouts you would assume okay, he doesn't genetically have fast twitch but that not be the case you should look at okay what can i do let's assume that you know that he's yeah, he's not able to recruit all muscle fibers so there are things that you can do in a strength and conditioning program to improve that so sometimes you start you shouldn't make the assumption that this is because of lack of mental strength right so that is a i would say a fallacy which generally happens that people start talking to uh, the athlete in terms of like oh you need to become mentally stronger but you're going wrong because then you're working on the wrong area right it's a, most cases uh you know a recreational athlete is not at a level of physical performance where their mental abilities uh you know start limiting their physical progress that can happen in case of an experienced athlete and athlete who's performing at a very high performance level that can tend to happen you know we could have more cases of you know burnout because you are really training at a very high level which is very demanding on the body you've, you've achieved that level of uh, fitness but uh, that just makes things even tougher for you because if you want to progress any further you're slowly progressing towards the limit of your physical abilities and that's where mental abilities uh 
uh, you know, start playing a major critical role. So in those cases, of course, you know, you will have to understand, you know, uh, what is happening to the athlete and talk to the athlete and try and understand what is that that they can do in order to make themselves uh, mentally stronger, right? There are different practices that you can follow in terms of, you know, being more mindful, and, you know, avoiding distractions and things like that. So uh, also uh, what is happening in their life outside the sport, right? So trying to understand sure. that and guiding the athlete in terms of how he can manage that better in order to be able to maintain that focus. Uh, but for a recreational athlete, a lot of times, uh, you know, you need to sort of help the athlete to develop a good work ethic, right? You need to help the athlete develop discipline. You need to help the athlete develop a mindset for consistent training, you know, like drill that into the athlete that nothing makes more difference than being able to go out and train consistent, right? And you need to take the sport seriously and not yourself too seriously, right? So what I mean by that is sometimes people take themselves too seriously in the sense like they do a bad workout and they tend to think, uh, you know, uh, they take it too personally, right? Uh, So you have to, don't take it too personally, don't, bad workouts will always be there, bad days will always be there. And uh, even the best of the athletes go through the bad days. So that's the conversation you, one needs to happen have with the athlete. And you need to tell them that you need to be able to accept the bad days, right? Uh, and that that sort of a mindset, if you can condition into the athlete, uh, that is what I would say a, a coach who's working with recreational athletes would work in terms of mind training. Sure. So I, I, my coach and I have this constant conversation uh, and I completely get it because sometimes I'm so um, serious about tempo runs. And if even one of the tempo goes wrong, I'll be, I don't know what I'm doing in life. Yeah. Anyway, oh, that's why, I mean, I, I put that in practice also. Sometimes I go for a workout and I go through a few intervals and I stop and, and I don't get affected by it. It's like, okay, it was not my day. And sometimes I've been able to do it the very next day. Right. I will be able to figure, okay, you know, I didn't sleep well enough or things like that. So it's not just about you. It's about, uh, you know, it's not about your physical ability. It's about, okay, I didn't, maybe I didn't arrange certain things or maybe the environmental factors could be such, right? Something in your food or the weather could be rough. And even even recently London marathon, I did, I I stopped after 30 kilometers. It was not a good day, but I didn't get affected by it because, you know, uh, I had already sort of, you know, uh, understood like, even before going to the run that there could be such things that can happen right and turned out to be true so then you are like okay what is the takeaway from here you look at what you what are the good things that you got from that effort and at the same time what are the things that you can change at this point of time to sort of uh, keep progressing you know in the sport yeah i'll get there anubhav i'll get there (laughs) thank you So I have one more question, Anubhav, and that is um, related. You are a coach and I would like to understand how would you sum up your coaching philosophy? Yeah, my coaching philosophy as things stand now, it keeps, you know, going through its iterations of changes. But as things stand now, I feel like uh, from the experience I've had with the athletes that I've worked with, my personal experience was very different. But as I started working with <clears throat> amateur athletes, I realized how important skills are uh, when it comes to running, right? And that most recreational athletes uh, tend to ignore that aspect. There are certain physical qualities which are needed you know, in a runner in order to be able to do uh, long distance running. And uh, it, although because it's developing those skills and physical qualities 
sort of deviate from what one thinks as running training, they tend to get ignored. So a runner should have that primary focus, especially starting off, of wanting to be a runner who has the skills which are needed in order to run as effortlessly as possible and challenging themselves, but at the same time not struggling and not suffering through uh, you know pain because then that also starts affecting your well-being uh, you know from a perspective of health as well as being happy right mentally and physically so uh, that's why i feel like the relationship that one has with running needs to be a healthy one and for that one needs to be you know challenged and not should not be struggling or should not be in pain and in order for that to happen of course you need a, a right program wherein you're not you know, going for an overkill. But at the same time, you have to have the physical qualities which will help you endure such a demanding sport. So that is, I think, at, at this point of time, that's my philosophy is focus on the skills and build and develop a healthy relationship with running. So Anubhav, um, 238 is your PB and it is uh, amazing. It is, it is a lot of sweat, blood, toil and it's inspirational and um, for our audience who are inspiring to go to the next level do you have any advice so i would say that uh, first thing is first process so the first step when it comes to performance in running is that uh, set up objective goals right uh, a lot of times uh, you know the goal is like i want to qualify for this race or you know i want to finish under you know it could be under three hours 315 so uh, I don't see them as objective goals, you know, because they are just random round numbers, right? And when you set up those things as your goals, uh, more often than not, you will take more time to reach that goals because you are not, you are not uh, determining because from those long-term goals, you determine short-term goals, right? And if your long-term goal is so random, your short-term goal is going to be equally random and the chances are that you will either you will be, you know, overreaching because goals generally tend to be lofty, right? So sure. goal assessment needs to happen based on your current fitness level. Take the help of an expert or, you know, a friend or somebody who knows how to look at these things objectively to determine, you know, what your goals should be. That's the number one thing, right? And uh, focus on the immediate uh, goal, not the, you know, don't always keep uh, thinking about the long-term thing and how close you're getting to that long-term goal. Set that up as an aspiration, but, you know, make sure you set an objective goal for your near-term things. You could, and your goals should be as close as having weekly goals, right? Like, okay, sometimes it's running mileage, but sometimes it's also about, okay, I want to be able to execute uh, two good quality workouts at this intensity. Have that sort of a mindset, then you are able to train more consistently and you're able to train at the right levels training at the right levels chances are the right kind of adaptations will happen and you will not run the risk of you know uh, getting burnt out or you know developing injuries understandable so to our listeners with this we come to an end of our show and thank you anubhav for sharing your insights it was um, wonderful talking to you oh it was completely my pleasure as you guys are geeks on feet and uh, I kind of like to geek out about running <laughs> and that's my favorite thing to do uh, apart from running and that's probably why I'm in this profession and it's absolute joy to be uh, able to talk about these things and you know and I hope that uh, I'm able to sort of uh, 
you always able to sort of uh, say things which uh, somebody can take back home and sort of benefit from it uh thanks for doing this and i'm sure uh, this is going to help out a lot of runners and i look forward to uh, hearing other people talk about their training insights i would like to thank all our listeners and if you have any suggestions on improving the content of the show or topics you would like us to cover please share it by emailing us at connect@geeksonfeet.com i would like to thank my friend arvind for editing sound recording and taking care of the post production for this podcast if you like this episode and want to listen to more such episodes in future please subscribe to our channel from wherever you are listening to the podcast if you find the information in this episode useful please share it with at least one of your friend We generate running content for those seeking technical assistance to training which is available in our show notes or you can also reach us through Twitter, Facebook or Instagram.